0: hey this morning we have the privilege of hearing from a as we call her in our house a powerhouse this is a mighty woman of god a mighty woman of god she has spoken at our church before she is part of our governing board which helps oversee the entire church so if you have an issue with me she's one you might want to call So, so far, she hasn't gotten any calls yet, so I'm doing good. So, this morning, welcome Pastor Ruth Hesselgren to the pulpit this morning. Thank you. Let me just find this right position here. Good morning, Stockholm. My name is Ruth, as uh, Brendan said. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much that uh, you guys took the snow for our region because we don't have any in Eskilstuna. (laughs) We still have some, some time, some lenient way here. Thank you so much. I am in Eskilstuna together with my husband. We're pastors there at the Pentecostal Church, which is a Swedish church with about 50 nationalities. So it, it's uh, we, we call ourselves Swedish. I don't know why, really. Because if you come on a Sunday, you see everyone from all different cultures and backgrounds and languages, and it's fun and it's loud, and I love it. That's how church is supposed to be. A reflection of heaven, right? So you are in a good place here to have an international community. Well, Pastor Brendan asked me to preach on Mark, and he gave me chapter 13 and 14 to choose from. And I read through it, and I thought, chapter 13, it's about, you know, the coming of Christ and judgment and everything like that. I leave it to you, Pastor. I jump into chapter 14. And I'm, t- I'm going to uh, preach from Mark chapter 14, 1 to 11. And the first slide, it tells you about what it means. It's a deep love for Christ. It's a deep love for Christ. If you feel you're going deep, you're going to go deeper. It's always deeper, deeper, deeper in Christ there are is like you know there is no realm like what we know there's no box it's just expanding it never stops a deep love of Christ well the thing is also like this we've just celebrated thanksgiving and and though christmas is around the corner the passage that i'm preaching on actually takes place in the last week of jesus earthly ministry so we're at Eastern time, basically. So sorry for that. I kind of landed in the wrong season. His fault, not mine. All right. But somehow I think that at the end of the sermon we might understand, oh, it's actually quite fitting. You know, well, and there's a twist to it, okay? So 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 bear with me now. Just want to start reading the first two verses of this um, Mark chapter 14, verse 1, actually. So keep your finger in your Bible or on your screen on your, on your uh, Bible app. It says like this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said. Or the people may riot. And then I jump to verse 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Funny what Mark does here. He tells us Jesus was hated. He had those outside his followers, outside his group, who hated him, who were scheming against him, who planned to arrest him and planned to kill him. But even worse, he had even somebody in his inner circle, in his followers, in his friend group that hated him, who was ready to quit on Jesus and betray him. And what we have here, theologians and scholars, they call it a Mark sandwich. Yes, you heard me right. It's like a hamburger, like a sub, you know. It's like Mark tells you something first, then he makes a filling of something else, and then goes back and gives you the other slide of the bread that holds it together it's a Mark sandwich because what he does is he tells about the betrayal of Jesus by Judas the animosity of the religious leaders you know we have the leaders in the beginning Judas in the end and in the middle though he says but hello don't forget not everybody hated Jesus there were those who deeply loved him and that's what he gives us there in the middle So that we are aware of that there are contrasting things. Hate and love coexist at the same time. So verses 3 to 9, it's the middle part of the sandwich, is a very moving passage. It's very possibly one of the most profound passages in the scripture on worshiping on worshiping Jesus, on a person who deeply loves the Lord. It's not just simply an emotional worship. And don't get me wrong. I think worship is absolutely allowed to be emotional. But we realize that this person makes it so clear that her worship is born out of knowledge. That she knows who Jesus is and what he has done. And that makes her heart full of worship and love. Before we get into it, I want to ask you a question. Do you love Jesus? And I assume that many of us here would say yes. Maybe you are here and you have not yet gotten to that point where you could say that about Jesus. I love him, you know. I'm interested in him. I want to know a little bit more about him. But, you know, it's religious stuff. Well, I think when you come and get to know Jesus, you realize it's not a religious stuff, it's a relationship stuff. And relationship requires love. A deep relationship, a meaningful relationship requires love. So I'm glad you're here, and I hope you start pondering on that. For the others, let me challenge you, though, a little bit. How much do you love him? How deeply because that's the core of Christianity do you love him as much as you should do you love him as much as you could that reminds me now of Dr. Seuss do you love him as much as you could do you love him as much as you should you know I mean that's it do we love Jesus the story about this woman becomes so instructive for us on what it really means to love Jesus how we actually can measure our love to Jesus and that is more than emotions it's more than something we feel can we measure love can we really do that you know love always has to act it has to be demonstrated right Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So love is demonstrated that way. Here we find a deep love and the part of a follower of Christ. And it sets the bar so high to such a degree that Jesus at the end of his passage says in verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Because her love was so great, so deep, people will talk about it. Because Jesus wants people to see what it looks like when somebody loves him so much that it literally rearranges the priority of her life because she just loves him. So I want to give you five characteristics of such a deep love for Christ. Five of them. Five ways by which you and I can actually evaluate our own love as we look at the love of this woman by the name of Mary. So let's read first. Mark chapter 14 verses 3 to 9. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table, very much Thanksgiving mood here, you know, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will also be told in memory of her so the first characteristic is a deep love for Christ worships you know Jesus he's coming to the area of Jerusalem for the Passover where he will also be eventually crucified but he stops in this village Bethany where some very dear friends of Jesus live remember Lazarus and his two sisters Mary and Martha that's where they live and six months prior to this in John chapter 11 we can actually read how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he'd been dead for four days and Jesus raised him I think that's that's very special (laughs) you know who who wants to do that Mark 14 verse 3 says while he was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper so the meal is not at Martha and Mary and Lazarus home as he was before no he's in another person's home it's the home of Simon the leper but obviously he cannot have leprosy anymore you understand because at that time if somebody had leprosy He was supposed to be out of the village, out of the town. He had to shout, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And nobody was allowed to have contact with that person. So how on earth could that be that he is there with a whole crowd of people? Well, let me me tell you what I believe, why he's there. Because I believe that Simon got healed by Jesus. And that's why Simon the leper makes him a dinner and invites to a party basically saying I got healed Lazarus got raised from the dead so let's party let's have a party and that's what we read we read that they were together gathered to show Jesus appreciation to thank him it was thanksgiving you know and there you know it was very much thanksgiving because what we read is basically the men are reclining and eating (laughs) And uh, Martha is probably serving because that's what we know about her, right? And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet listening. And all the disciples are there and I'm sure other people also. And then something extraordinary happens. And I want to read also how John describes it in chapter 12, verse 3. He tells us like this. Then Mary took a pint, pint, I think you say, that's about half a liter, of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. You know, in those days when you came into a house... Your feet were pretty, smelly, dirty, dusty, because you had those sandals, those flip-flops, you know, and it was sandy and everything. So usually what they would do that, the youngest in the house would wash your feet. Sometimes richer places serve in the serve of the house would wash your feet clean. And then more than that, to just also help you to not be known by bo- uh, bad body odor, they would actually give you some perfume but what they do they would just hold this bottle would shake it give you one drop and put it usually around your head so that you smell well just imagine i mean you are reclining you are lying there at the table and you try to reach over each other i mean you are pretty close to each other i think everybody was grateful that your feet were washed and you had a little bit of perfume on so no doubt this has already been done to jesus because he was already there he had clean feet he had a little bit of drops there, but suddenly something extraordinary happens. Mary comes and she does it different, in a different way. She takes this alabaster flask, a very expensive, precious stone, kind of translucent type of little vase, very, very special, artistic. And this quantity also, it's half a liter. I mean, when you buy your mom perfume on Mother's Day, do you buy her half a liter? No, you buy her 30 milliliters, and it's expensive enough, right? (laughs) You know, but that's what she takes. It was precious, it was special. It was probably very rare to have. And people, scholars and historians, they say it was probably given to her by her mom. An heirloom, especially for preparing her as a woman married life in the future. Passed on for you to use it on special occasions. But Mary, she does not carefully uncork the bottle to take a little bit. No. It says she breaks it open so that that you're not able to close it again. She breaks it open because she wants to use all of it. All of it. She says, I'm not holding back here. I'm not just taking some drops. You get everything. Everything. There's no turning back. I'm using it all for the one I love. And she pours it not only over his head, she says, Would I give to you your feet? Give me your feet. That's that's how much I love you. The, the, the one part that is the dirtiest. I put it over your feet. My love. So you know, worship is the result of a heart that is so captivated with who God is because she knows who Jesus is and she knows what he has done for her. And her heart just bursts forth in this worship, a deep love, and she worships God in a generous way, in a complete way. You know, we sometimes have the tendency to reduce our worship to what we feel like doing to what we prefer to do, to what makes us comfortable rather than letting our heart be aware of who God is and what he has done. And to say, we give it all. We don't care. We don't care. We give it all. Mary, she was so caught up in Jesus' presence and in Jesus as a person and so grateful for Jesus that she worships him unapologetically because of her deep love she had no other way she she knew I need to worship him so a deep love for Christ always worships the second thing is a deep love for Christ is extravagant and we already talked about it Uh, Mark uh, verses 3 and verses 5. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment and pure pure nard, very costly. And this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. So how much is 300? Well, Mary is taking a year's worth of celery and she's dumping it out. You know, she's spending a resource. The value of today's U.S. median yearly income is somewhere around $75,000. That's what she spends on Jesus. It is hers. And she has this family heirloom and she takes this flask and she breaks it. Even the bottle in itself could have been sold. She doesn't just pop the cork, as we said. She broke it she's not a, not going to keep any of it for herself she breaks it and typically typically you would maybe have you know made it a little bit diluted a little bit with water if you use more you know but you use she uses everything pure all she has the best that's what she wants to give and she does it joyfully and she does it willingly and she does it extravagantly This is her way of showing her deep love. I think when a person deeply loves the Lord, they no longer measure out their time. They don't calculate their resources. They don't think in terms of how much they can hold back. No, they think of how much they can give. And this is Mary. She's not even thinking about saving. She wants him to have everything. And this maybe is the most valuable possession that she owns. She's going to give it all. It's extravagant. It's a bit crazy also, right? She doesn't have to, but she wants to because of her deep love. The third characteristic is a deep love for Christ isn't worried about what others will think. You know, too often what happens in our expression of worship to God is that we have a tendency to be governed by other things more than by the sheer and and, and ultimate understanding of who Jesus is. Who is he? What has he done for us? And let's just get that really clear. Are we really sure of who Jesus is? Let me just try to explain who Jesus is for me. Jesus is the God of the universe. The one without equal. He is the king. He is the one who set aside the entitlements and privileges of deity. And he took on the form of of a man he humbled himself to the point of death and on the cross the one who had no sin became sin and God poured out on him all of God's righteous wrath for our sin for my sin and he punished him and he bore that for me willingly so that you and I through the simple act of faith in Jesus could get our sins forgiven Have a relationship with God. Have adoption as his children and have the promise of heaven with him in eternity. That's who Jesus is. And if that doesn't grip you, if that doesn't move you, I'm afraid maybe nothing will. Because that's the ultimate thing that Jesus is. What happens too often is we come into maybe a church service and we are evaluating everything. And it's like we're some kind of consumer that maybe goes like to a supermarket or the mall, you know. Oh, I do like that color. No, I don't like that fit. Oh, this is too small. This is too big. Oh, I don't like the volume. Um, oh, no, I don't like this song. I want the other song. No, I don't want to sing new songs. I want to sing old songs. No, I don't want to sing old songs. I only want to sing new songs. No, I, I don't like that worship leader. I like the other one more. Oh, that preacher, I like him. But sometimes he doesn't say what I want to hear. You know, we, that, that's sometimes what we do. We evaluate things. According to our preferences. But that's not the heart of worship. Because if you want to be a true worshiper, none of that matters. It's about your heart and who Jesus is. That's how it is. So if I want to worship, I shower Jesus with love, with worship, with praise, with thankfulness, with gratefulness. That is deep, real love. Deep love is not only about focusing on the Lord, but it's also not concerned about what others think. And that's a really huge obstacle in our times, I think. You know, when the Bible says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. And there are people that have never lifted their hands when they were praising God. Because maybe I look funny to my neighbor. And when it says, sing to the Lord a you song. No, I cannot sing. I can't sing. Well, this is not uh, Sweden got talent. This is church. And when God says, sing. You sing. And it doesn't matter what others think or if you disturb them or not or whatever. You sing because Jesus and God want to hear your voice. That's why we do it. And you know what? When you start singing, you join worship from all of God's creation, not just from this church. You join the world in praising him. And those praises, they raise up. That's powerful. So worship him. Worship him. And that means we put aside what other people are going to think about our voice or the lack of voice. We've put aside what somebody's going to think like we've gone mad or we've gone crazy. We're no longer worried about what other people think. No, we are praying and we are praising and we're lifting our hands to an audience of one. You're not praising for the others around you. You have one audience, and that is God alone. And it's He who we worship. Because when you love God deeply, you just, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your being and all your strength, that's how you want to praise and worship and love Him. So here we have Mary. And what she does is actually absolutely shocking. In John 12, verse 3, it says, She wiped His feet with her hair. In order to do that, she's gotta let her hair down. And you know, that's maybe fashion now, but that has not been the way how it was done in those times. Only women of bad reputation would ever do that. It was risky. It could tarnish her reputation in her village. And you know, the rabbis actually taught at that time that you could divorce a woman for going around with open hair publicly. But Mary is more caught up in loving the one who loves her than she is worried about what the people around her will think or say or gossip. And this is the heart of deep love. It's not that we careless that we are careless regarding where people are at no we're not trying to dishonor god but we simply care more about him than we do about the opinions of people around us because they can be often shallow and they can be often wrong mary is caught up with loving jesus deeply Listen, I need to say that because when you love Jesus deeply, the world, people that don't know Jesus, they will not understand that. Your devotion to Christ is not something people understand. It's always interesting when the world is trying to tell the church what the church ought to do or ought to teach or ought to think because the world doesn't understand the mystery of personal devotion to God. The world sees the church as a social organization that just should be doing good. And yes, that's what we should be doing, right? We should be doing good things for our city, for our people absolutely but you know what without a devotion to God and without our love to God we would not be different than any other governmental agency the world will not understand the devotion you have for Christ Hmm. watch this this is interesting to me in verse 4 it says there were some who said to themselves indignantly why was the ointment wasted like that why is she doing that? It's an outrage. She's wiping his feet with her hair. What's up with that? Why Why? How? Why does he not react? You know, they were, they were angry. Something that's even more interesting is in John 12, verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It was one of his disciples this is so interesting. It's not it's not Peter or John or Thomas that speak out first. No, it was Judas. And we all know where his heart was at, right? And I would say this carefully, but very carefully. I, I want to say it carefully that we have to be Careful about criticizing other people's enthusiasm in worshiping because many times i found that people who are very critical of others in worship are often living in the realm of deficiencies in their own relationship with Christ. And we don't want to judge others. But I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just saying, who is the one talking here? Judas Iscariot. Jesus is the first one who speaks and he says, and he says it, why? Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? All that sounds very noble, right? It sounds good. It sounds even justified, right? I mean, $75,000. But then read with me what it says in John 12, verse 6, just three verses after. John writes this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag he used to help himself, so what was put into it? So he was thinking, this money, if that would have been in the bag that I carry around, 10% for me, you know? So those that criticize openly sometimes act out of a bad conscience, covering up something that they're actually lacking. But you know, even others in Mark 14 verse 5 scolded Mary. It's the calculating crowd. You know, let, let's let get a better idea of our return and our investment here. I think we, we have to be careful here. You know, of course, we should be stewards. You know, we should be wise, absolutely, you know. But I think you have to be careful about trying to quantify everything down into a dollar and a cent return on investment. If we are only going to calculate things, we will be missing the will of God. And certainly not be thinking with the heart of God. Because God never calculates. If he would do that, who of us would be able to stand? He showers us with love and with forgiveness. And with grace. Love does not calculate. It gives freely. And this point I want to just end with reading. Verses 6 to 7. Where Jesus says. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want. You can do good for them. But you will not always have me we need to know when our time and opportunity is to give everything to God because the other opportunities they will always be around but when God is in the room and wants to meet you that's when you need to give it all are you with me still two to go So the fourth characteristic, a deep love for Christ results in spiritual insight. Hmm. Because something profound and beautiful happens here in verse 8. It says, Jesus says there, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. This is a powerful phrase. Jesus looks at Mary and says, you did what you could. Wow. When Jesus looks at me, when Jesus looks at you, have you done what you could? When Jesus looks at at how you manage what you have for him, for his glory, have you done what you could? If Jesus looks at how you spent the first time of this service have you done what you could listen what God is looking for from us He's looking for people who are wholeheartedly in love with him. And it's so easy that we are in different parts of our life and and we are holding back. We can hold back so much. We can hold back our joy. We can hold back our freedom. We can hold back our time, our resources, whatever it is. You would know as soon as I say, what are you holding back? I know that the Holy Spirit then says something in our mind and says, yep, that's it. You're holding that back. The question is, how is that going for you? You know, do you have more time because you're not giving your time to church and going to church service those two hours? Do you have so much more time? Do you suddenly have 27 hours per day? You know, do you have more? Are you you seeing more of God's work in your life if you are not going to meet God are you having a stronger prayer life if you're not praying? Are you knowing more about the Bible if you never read it? If we're holding back on things, we basically only harm ourselves because we will not be growing in a way we could be growing. We will not come closer to God. We are not doing ourselves a favor. Jesus is asking, and he's asking for what you could do you know Mary has done what she could do on that particular Wednesday and next the next week on that particular Friday what happened Jesus was hanging on the cross and you know what that meant if somebody pours half a liter perfume over you you don't get rid of that smell by just showering It means that that fragrance followed Jesus throughout the whole last week on earth. It was with him when he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. It was with him when he was in the temple. It was with him when he was angry. It was with him when he was scared praying. It was with him when he ate the Last Supper with his disciples. It was with him on that Friday when he was beaten. And I think it mingled with the smell of blood and the smell of sweat. But that's what she did for him. This aroma went with Jesus. And I think it gave him something to remember. That the people were actually capable to love him deeply. And he was driven to the cross because of what? Love. love and somehow what she has done this this anointing him be, his body beforehand his burial how could she know that well actually they all should have known because Jesus told them at least four times that the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of man and they will kill him and when he's killed after three days he will rise we read that that Jesus said that but I think a byproduct of a deep love for Christ is spiritual insight and if you dare to love Christ so deeply you are aware of things You will know things. And she felt, this is the time. I need to do that for Christ. There's a great author, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who wrote in his book, The Pursuit of God, a great uh, quote. I have written it up, the next picture. It's a little complicated, but, but bear with me. It says like this. The great of the kingdom, so people that that are known, you know, the great of the kingdom, have been those who loved God more than others did. I venture to suggest that the one vital quality which they had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven, something which urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like a profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. It's not about if you know all theology and all historical uh, interpretations and, and whatever of every passage in the Bible. It's about do you know Christ and do you love him? And are you ready to give yourself to Christ? Because then something happens. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And if you're walking with God, if you're walking close to God, this is God's heart for every single person in this room. That if you walk so close to God, you hear him. You hear his voice. Because that's what he wants to do. He wants to speak to everyone here. And if you're fully devoted, you hear the Holy Spirit's voice in you. And you will be aware of things that you would not know otherwise. Because God is taking place and room inside of you. So the people who love him and cultivate a love for him have an awareness of his moving in their life. But more than that, they even have an awareness of other people. They start seeing what God sees when he looks at other people. They hear what God hears when they listen to other people. That is the supernatural that can take place in your life. This is Mary a deep love for God results in a spiritual sensitivity you know and that is not infallible no we are people we are humans we are not God you know but I just still want to be so close to God you know and, and I want the Holy Spirit to correct me when I'm wrong <laughs> but I just want to hear his spirit in me the last one now ah, and that's a beautiful one a deep love for Christ is applauded by God. Woo-hoo! That's not a difficult one, right? <laughs> Mark 14 verse 9. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. In memory of her. It doesn't say in memory of me. It says, no, I want people to know her. Jesus wants us to know about this story. It's very interesting. Why didn't he tell them, oh, don't forget you four who write the gospels. You know, tell them about all you four about when I fed the five thousands or when I calmed the storming sea or make sure that in every gospel you can read how Lazarus was raised or how how I walked on water. No, he says, make sure that people In every time of history, all over the world, we'll hear about this story, about that personal devotion, because that's what delights him. That's what he wants. That ultimately, all he's ever wanted is people who simply just love him with everything they are and with everything they have and just want to show it, not caring about what others think and talk, This is my job, loving Jesus. You know, Mary knew who Jesus was and correctly understood the magnitude of his power in her life. And so she responds with this wholehearted lavishing on Christ with this irresponsible outpouring of love. Do you ever do anything for Jesus and it's not for any other reason? You just do it for him. Well, you know, the world, what does the world say when we talk about this here? Will you give stuff to Jesus? Would you give your tie You give 10% of your income to the church and then even more maybe for missions? What? That's crazy. You mean you go to church on a Sunday? You're sitting there listening and you, you even maybe go to prayer meetings? What are you, 80 plus? Would you have friends that you would not hang out with, but because they're Christians, you talk to them? You know, I mean, that, that's really like this. Church is a place where you're just thrown together and you have relationships with people you would maybe never talk with. But that's the family of God. It's a bit crazy to live a life as a Christian because you are doing things. You are, you, Jesus dares you to step out of a comfort zone. Loving Jesus will cause every one of us to do things the world just plainly does not understand. And if I can just say it, there is something crazy about people or about a person or a church who just has come to an awareness of how great God is and what he's done for them and that the world just can't understand it. But all we want to do is tell them about Jesus. Because if we've experienced that love, we know that that's what the world needs. Look at the world today. Look at the wars. Look at the hate Look at the the, the doubts people have, and the confusion people live in. Look at the broken relationships. Look at the hurt and the trauma. Do we have the answer? Yes. Because we know somebody who died on the cross for all of that, and wants to give us new life, and new hope, and forgiveness, and restoration, and a new beginning. And we know that, and that's why we want to tell people wherever the gospel is preached, the story about Mary will be heard. Because that's what Christ longs for in us. This is what heaven applauds if we love so deeply. So what Jesus would love for every single person in here is to know, and I can promise you this, Mary, she did not feel like she lost anything by loving Jesus. No, she knew she gained everything by loving him. And that's what Christ wants the world to know. By loving me, you gain everything. So may God help us to move into that direction of loving him that well. So maybe now we understand why this sermon has to be preached between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Because the best way to express gratefulness and thankfulness is to love Christ deeply. And the best present that you can give Jesus on his birthday, because you know it's his birthday, not ours, but we get the gifts, you know. So you ought to give him a gift. The best gift you can give him is To love him deeply. A love so deep that it worships him. Can do the last slide. A love so deep that it worships him. A love that is extravagant. A love that isn't worried about what others will think. And a love that results in spiritual insight. And a love that is applauded by God. I would like us to just stand up and <clears throat> and if you could get ready to maybe sing a worship song. You know, this is the time to evaluate your love now. You know, and it's not me that does it or, or Pastor Brendan that now does it and says, come forward to each evaluation for each of you. No, it's you and God. You and God, how much do you love God? How much do you love Jesus? And I, I think we do like this during the, the first song. Just take a time and, 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 and let the Holy Spirit Im- impress you with where you can change and direct your thoughts. And if you feel that, that you want to have prayer to really make it today, make a step, make a decision. I want to be deeper in love with Christ. Come forward and we pray for you. Do that because love needs action and today you can make a step and you you can make this action of okay this is today I mark it in my calendar I want to have a deeper love for Christ and if you've never made a decision to fall in love with Christ and start this relationship with him come to us and talk or talk to the friend you came with and and ask him how do I really become somebody who can love Christ like that because you know he already loves you.